This is an ohs.com.au production. Welcome to episode 13 of the Health and Safety Business Podcast. I'm Brendan Tarazzi, director of ohs.com.au, Australia's first online training marketplace. Today I'm joined uh, with Graham Dent. Hi, Graham. How are you, Brendan? I'm well, thanks. Thanks very much for coming on the show. Um, tell me a little bit about what you do, Graham. I'm a sole practitioner. My practice is called Dent Consulting and Legal. I focus solely on workplace health and safety law, and uh, I also run a, an online group on LinkedIn, uh, focusing again on work health safety law. Yeah, and so how long have you been a, do they call it a lawyer or a solicitor in Australia or is it one of the same thing? It, a lawyer covers both yeah. solicitors and barristers, so it's fine. Yeah, yeah. And so how long have you been a lawyer for? 37 years. Oh my gosh. And always in health and safety or have you, as your practice? Predominantly, I, the year? I started, my first brush with health and safety was uh, back in about 1982 or three, I think, where I worked for the then Department of Labor and Industry, which is the forerunners of WorkSafe. So I was there for a few years doing prosecutions and yeah. uh, get my hands in the area ever since. And so what was the was the legislation back in the early 80s to manage health and safety or was it, was it more employment law? No, it was called the Laden Industry Act and yeah. it's far more prescriptive concurrently. So um, there are very specific requirements about machine guarding and... Uh, other issues rather than like you get now with codes of practice and general requirements and regulations about the hierarchy of controls. Yeah. Uh, but the fines are so low in those days that um, it really was just an expense of doing business and although I had a great record in prosecutions, there were many instances where defendants didn't even turn up. Oh, right. That's how lightly it was treated. The big companies would turn up primarily to defend their reputation rather than worry about the fine. They would spend more depending it than the fine. And so do you think the, that do you think that like working back in that you know, those times was it more dangerous or was it just different? I think I guess I guess what I'm trying to get to is has the you know, has the new legislation actually made workplaces safer? Is it Yes, I think there have I mean, been a, a number of acts in Victoria since then. I think about uh, three pieces of legislation, or maybe two, 1985 and 2004, and they've come a long way since then in terms of the guidance that's offered both the board of duty and also the role of the regulations and codes of practice. And the increased yeah. penalties have also meant that um, people can no longer uh, fail to turn up or just treat it as a cost of business. Yeah. So it's had a lot of change in that regard, and I think... That's reflected by a reduction in injuries and also increased rate of prosecutions and return and the fines. Yeah. And so these days, and, and so walk us through. So early days you worked for, uh, as a prosecutor and where, where did you go after yeah. then? After that I went to the Ministry of Consumer Affairs where I was again in a regulatory role uh, yeah. prosecuting um, under consumer affairs legislation and... Uh, managing licensing and standards. From there, I went to 
uh, one of Australia's largest law firms, Mellison Stephen Jakes. It's now called Kingwood Mellison's. And yep. there, because of my background with occupational health and safety, I had a strong role in their, well, predominant role in their health safety practice, but also did some environmental law, began from the regulatory side, which was prosecutions. Yep. And from there, I went to my own business called She Law Solutions, Safe Healthy Environmental Law Solutions. I practiced that for six years, again in health safety, until I was headhunted to another firm. I spent six years there, including being managing partner of the Melbourne office. And then the last 10 years, I've been running my own business again. Oh, okay. And so, so running your own business, is it just yourself or do you have you yes. know, staff helping out? No, just, just myself, working with consultants as, as required from time to time. Oh, Giving more flexibility. A, yeah, I was going to say, that must be, you get to pick and choose what work you want to take on. I don't like turning work back, so you can, sometimes you're working very long hours and you look forward to a, a patch when the work drops off a bit. Yeah. So the the type of um, clients coming on now, do they tend to, you know, give us a, you don't have to name names, but yes. it's a range of the types of industries that you're representing. Uh, I've represented, in the past 10 years in my practice, I've done everything from um, large telecommunication companies, um, one of the big four banks, helped them through their whole process of moving over to the harmonised legislation. Yeah. Um, trying to think now. I've acted for plenty of small to medium businesses in being prosecuted. And again, some larger businesses, a lot of training. Um, yeah. Worked for a geotechnical engineering company on a national basis, handling their training advice and also running a coronial inquest for them. Um, government research organisation, again, did a coronial inquest for them. So there's been a diversity both in the size of businesses, government sector, private enterprise, and size of business in terms of small, medium, and large. Yeah. Well, so your early career, was you did a lot of prosecution. Do you do defending now as well? Yes. A lot of people, I mean, I've done a lot of training, and still yep. present at occasional seminar, but it's an area where for the small to medium business, most of their response to health and safety laws is reactive when something goes wrong. Yeah. Uh, so while there's still a bit of training and work with with boards in terms of the office or the due diligence officer obligations, most of the work is uh, in a response to work safe actions following an incident. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so the prosecutions and enforceable undertakings tend to be the the mainstay of my work at the moment. Right, so a company has overlooked something, they get an enforceable action against them and then then you, you work with those companies to rectify yes. that situation. Yes, they'll get a notice served on them which they might want to appeal against uh, yeah. to improve works or to stop works. They will be prosecuted and face multiple charges, in which case I'll manage the defence and the liaison with WorkSafe and sometimes speak to a barrister to appear in court and either defend the matter or run a plea in mitigation of the penalty. And in some cases where you meet your criteria, you apply to work safe for an enforceable undertaking, which is effectively a contract between my client and work safe. Mm. My client will spend a certain amount of money performing certain works which work safe considers to be of benefit generally to health and safety or in the public interest. 
What happens with really like I've, I've recently in the last couple of years in in um, uh, alert force the training business that I'm involved with came across a customer that had an enforceable undertaking against them and it was to do some training but they never did anything about it. Right. But it was a really, really, I'm not going to name the name obviously, but it was a very, very big company. What sort of powers do the regulators actually have to I think follow that through? One, that must be one that slipped through the cracks because certainly now um, they have stringent reporting requirements. I've just had a client do one where they have to report monthly on progress to WorkSafe in terms of key milestones that they've uh, agreed. They have to keep all the receipts or evidence of um, contribution in kind in terms of the hours that people have contributed to the work within the business. And again, that's monitored. If a person fails to meet the requirements of the undertaking, then they can be prosecuted for breaching it. Mm. So and it's much more seriously monitored. They're harder to get. The threshold is higher. Yeah. Uh, the value that WorkSafe is looking for is higher. Um, and the public interest, again, higher criteria. They used to accept some undertakings where effectively uh, they're only asking businesses to do what the law required them to do already. So they've, they've gone way beyond that now. They expect something over and above that. And so it's not just training, but I mean, training must be one part of an enforceable undertaking. Oh, yes. What, what, are, what are some of the other things that companies need to do? Well, one of the ones I've done at the moment is where the client... There was a dust explosion uh, during a welding operation. The yep. dust explosions are not well understood by many industry and certainly came as a surprise to my client. And so part of the process there is that apart from internal training on things like safe work method statements, which are required for hot work, um, for the work that was being undertaken in this case, they uh, also are developing in conjunction with one of the TAFE colleges a program for the various engineering courses uh, yeah. and welding, so it goes through the three uh, of the VET stages of welding right through to diplomas, and that will be uh, a unit that we then uh, incorporate into the training programs for the apprentices and others. And at the other end of the scale, there's, there's an arrangement with the Welding Institute of Australia or Weld Australia to publicity to that and advertise it throughout the industry more broadly and also with union support to uh, publicise it within the union sector so they've hit both uh, I suppose the bottom level the middle level and the top level so it sounds like even though it sounds quite serious if you you know you're a business and you get one of these you could actually turn it around and make it an advantage for your organisation if you look at it as yeah. a learning a learning piece that you know to, you need to bring the, the business up a tier. Yes, that's right. And it um, it also avoids a conviction, prosecution conviction, which is important to some companies because it can affect them in tendering arrangements, um, either with government or in the private sector, where increasingly companies are requiring people to demonstrate their health safety competence as part of obtaining a contract. And the conviction uh, is a bad mark against them and sometimes can leads to not getting a job. Right. So all these enforceable undertakings, they'd be published on the regulator's website when they happen? Yes. In each jurisdiction they're published and yep. you get a full copy of them. They're downloadable from the websites. 
right. So it's like public public knowledge once that happens. Yes. In, in Victoria, it'll be in the prosecution and enforcement undertaking section on their website, and you'll get there a full list of all the prosecutions that they're undertaken. The yeah. sections are prosecuted under the fines that were uh, imposed, and also with the enforceable undertakings, a brief summary then, plus a downloadable copy, the PDF of the whole document as it was agreed and signed. Yeah. So I wanted to turn now to your LinkedIn group because you've done an amazing job at, I guess, at creating a meeting place for people interested in work health and safety. Tell me a little bit about how that started and 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 um, what it's become. It started about seven years ago when I was doing a lot of work for one of the big four banks on helping them transition into the work health safety laws nationally. And it was just one of those spare of the moment things. I was walking out of the steps after the meeting with the client. And I thought, gee, I could start a group on this. <laughs> uh, because there was a lot of ignorance at the time and there's a lot of developments in terms of discussion papers, draft codes of practice, um, draft or regulatory impact statements, a whole range of issues that were going on. It was very hard for people to keep on top of them, um, what was happening in each jurisdiction. So this started, was a, uh, this, just to give me a time frame, this would have been just be when the Model Act, Work Health and Safety Act, was yes, in that kind of draft form. Early, early 2011, when there was yeah. a lot of finalisation of um, legislation going on and talk about implementation dates and still that stage discussions, for example, whether Victoria will be in or out. And Victoria was heavily involved in developments of codes of practice and right up to a particular day when it just pulled out and uh, dropped any involvement with any of the processes, uh, including codes of practice, which um, other jurisdictions like Western Australia, even though it hasn't picked up the model laws yet, still work yeah. with and accepted the codes of practice. Yeah. So there's a lot of um, disarmony around the country and staggered times for different states coming into the, into the model laws. And changes, some of the changes were in the detail some in principles, but companies wanted to make sure they were on top of uh, what the changes were and also things like office of due diligence requirements. So there was a lot of information going on, a lot of change going on, and I thought that I could bring it together in the one group, which I named Work Health Safety Harmonisation Group, and it grew from small beginnings to be now the largest LinkedIn group for health safety in Australia. Oh, wow. Um, how many members do you have now? got just under 18,000 members and a couple of thousand followers. Oh, wow. Okay. That's amazing. And, and yeah. do they tend to be mainly um, what makeup would it be Australian members? Yeah, there's people from over 50 nations involved. Yeah. Um, work, the LinkedIn program used to give you better stats and breakdowns. Um, they stopped doing that. They've changed a the number of functions, which used to be a great value. But... There's a portion, there's a significant portion now will be health safety managers, health yeah. safety consultants, managers with responsibilities for health safety or managers generally as directors who are concerned about their position. Um, there's health safety representatives, trade union representatives. So it's a very broad uh, cross-section of the community in relation to health safety. There's also reps from every regulator in Victoria, sorry, in Australia, and the Safe Work Australia all have representatives in it. In the early days, Facebook Australia were using it for media announcements on changes and developments with the model laws. Yeah, it sounds like a, it's a great 
central meeting place for people to share information. Yes. And hopefully, hopefully um, solve some issues. Yes. Or questions that they might have. For those who aren't familiar with LinkedIn, it's all it's all free, and. Uh, yeah, there's certainly many discussions arise in there that cover a broad range of issues and I've encouraged people to, on the basis of no, no question is a stupid question and for those who feel embarrassed about it, I have a process where they can email me with a question and I'll post it anonymously so they can still get feedback and answers and uh, there's such a broad diversity of people in the group, the answers are very obviously uh, quite often very helpful. Yeah, wow. Okay, so is it taking up a lot of your time to manage that group or is it sort of self-managing these days? No, it takes time to manage because uh, a lot of people like to um, spam in it or post advertisements to their business or for forthcoming conferences yeah. and I tend to well, delete those and conferences which are free, um, they'll stay in but yeah. anything commercial um, or anything that's posted by a business which doesn't add value to the group. Now, it can be a promotion, but as long as it adds value, gives some yeah. information that the values members and then if people sign off it, off it with their business name or their services, that's fine. But yeah. sometimes it's just a blatant advertisement. Yeah, so that's one thing. And also... If it adds value to the community, then it's welcome, but if it's just about making money um, or promoting some kind of event, it's probably needs to go on the promotions tab. Uh, the promotions tab was removed by LinkedIn, so... Oh, right, there you go, there you go. It shows you how up-to-date I am. It, so that, that's resulted in a lot of promotions and spam coming into the discussion thread, which is why there's a bit of yeah. work in administering it. That's all, so uh, I post a lot of material myself. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. So why do you think, this is sort of my last question, why do you think, or do you think Australia kind of leads the way with health and safety legislation and managing health and safety in the workplaces or is there some other country around the world that has done a better job? I think a lot of people look to England or the UK uh, as an example. They have a very strong framework there, still based on the same principles as the Australian legislation. In fact, um, Australia copied the approach, or Robin's principle it was called, uh, mm -hmm. of practicability from the UK the UK have gone ahead in areas like industrial or corporate manslaughter and not just the concept but the way they impose penalties. It's not just a set fine under the Act but it can be based on a proportion or percentage of the company's gross turnover. So wow. when you've got companies that are worth $100 billion, as we have a number of mining companies in Australia, they're worth that or more, um, the maximum fine may not be much more than a, a footnote in their annual report. So when you can base it on a percentage of their gross turnover, it becomes a much more serious matter for them. Yeah, 100%. You, you want to make sure you're managing your health and safety correctly. Yes. So I think oh, Australia's got a good reputation that uh, New Zealand's followed our model, but I think uh, England still has a lot for us to learn from. Yeah, okay. All right, well, look, we're going, going to wrap up the um, interview now, but I've just got a few short questions to ask you um, to wrap up. Um, first of all, uh, can I ask how old you are? 62. And um, what do you like to do to keep fit? I do triathlons, the longer ones, and uh, I've used them as fundraising events and alert force through you of 
assisted in that through selling some training courses online or auctioning them. And uh, through the group, I've managed to raise about $30,000 in a series of triathlons. So that's uh, been a very welcome incentive for me to get my training and my racing right. Yeah, and doing it for doing it for a char- charitable cause. That's fantastic. And I've also got uh, 12-year-old twins, so yep, <laughs> keep, you keep, you, keep you on your toes as well. Um, yes. You said that you work long hours. How many hours sleep do you get on average per night? Uh, I try to get seven. And so I, I used to get a lot less, but um, I've been told I need to get my minute on seven hours of sleep, and I do feel a lot better and more productive when I get it. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, don't burn the candle anymore, posting on LinkedIn or doing things like that, which I used to do. Yep. So the rule is seven hours of sleep. Now that makes sense. And then do you have any personal goals that you're looking to achieve in the next 12 months? Uh, business-wise or personally? Uh, yeah, personal goals, and then I'll ask you the next question I'm going to ask you about what business uh, achievement you'd like to be most remembered for. Yeah, well, personally, I'd like to get back to another Ironman. I've had some injuries. Um, and so I haven't done an Ironman triathlon for a couple of years now. And uh, I've put on a bit of weight, so I want to lose my weight and get back into that. Um, so that's my short term. Well, that'll take a couple of years to do that goal. Yep. And then the business achievement you'd like to be most remembered for? It's hard to say in terms of what I'd like to be most remembered for. I've always wanted to write a book, but I don't think that'll happen in terms of time constraints. Uh, I'd just like to remember for being someone who's pragmatic, um, commercially focused and uh, gets the right solutions for clients, which sometimes is a plea of guilty with um, mitigation of the penalty. Sometimes it's an undertaking, sometimes it's a successful defence and yep. developing a relationship with clients, which um, unfortunately for clients sometimes means repeat business. Yep. Most of them don't want to see me again after a matter, <laughs> but uh, we maintain friendships. Yeah, of course. So if people want to find out a little bit more about you, Graham, what's your website? Dentcl.com. www.dentcl.com. Right, and and obviously no AU, it's just .com. That's right. Excellent. All right, Graham, thanks very much for coming on the show today. That's okay. Good to speak to you. And remember, if you've been enjoying the podcast, don't forget to leave us a review and um, subscribe. See you next time.